1: Have you ever lifted a piece of furniture and found the carpet underneath looks brand new while the rest of it looks, well, not brand new? That's when you realize you need new carpeting. At the Home Depot, we have a wide selection of all the top brands. Best of all, we'll install it for you. And even better than best of all, we install it free. So all you need to do is choose from our hundreds of styles and colors. Start your installation today at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Minimum purchase of $4.99. Exclusions apply. U.S. only. See store for details.
2: Hey guys, LD here with a content and trigger warning for our audience. This episode deals with sexual allegations with a minor, pedophilia, abuse, and inappropriate behavior around children. Listener discretion is strongly advised.
3: You're digging the Rock and Roll Heaven Podcast with LD, Will the Thrill, and (coughs) TJ2.
2: hey guys welcome to rock and roll heaven the podcast where we talk about the lives careers and deaths of famous musicians and occasionally other people i am your host ld along with me for the ride as always is tj2 the deuce
0: (laughs) i don't even want to say what that sounded like was it a velcro beer
4: (laughs) yeah that was a that, that the pull tab was being a little on the fussy side (laughs)
2: <laughs> all well, right what are you drinking
4: i've never had this one before this is a local uh brew it is the lake wiley brewery sandbar blonde
2: oh you were not joking when you said it was a local beer very local huh. the lake wiley
4: <laughs> brewery right up the road
2: all right and then uh, of course mm. my other half
4: oh
0: mm. Ooh. <laughs> oh that's not that's not my oh. other half oh. yeah, I assume that's about the beer and not me yeah
2: yeah I'm I'm guessing yeah the other half
0: of me Mr. Will the Thrill greetings and salutations oh
2: that was a good oh, one yeah it's
0: crisp and what are you drinking this is uh, from offshoot this was the lovely hazy IPI I had that uh, it's the picture that I was like you have to see it and it's the shark coming up for the water gotcha gotcha yes. Sort of an Art Deco style. I like it.
2: Of course, you guys know that we always post on Facebook if someone passes. And thankfully, thus far, as upon recording this episode this week, we don't have any musical deaths to announce. But unfortunately, we do have one in the realm of comedy. And that was a comedic genius, someone uh, that was very beloved, especially by Stephen King, who called his voice galaxy destroying. And that was Gilbert Godfrey.
0: That's right.
4: Yeah. yeah, man, what a what a unique comic voice, both uh, literally
3: <laughs> because he talked like this,
4: and but also figuratively, a lot like Norm Macdonald. It was just there was just something different about the way he approached comedy that was just so uh, unique and refreshing and and hysterically funny. And it it kind of dawned on me, like you know, Gilbert's been around pretty much forever. In,
2: yeah uh, i mean like for for as a kid like the first thing that we really knew gilbert godfrey for was aladdin Aladdin right? was from aladdin, aladdin. But
4: I, yeah, because he was the bird
2: he was iago yes
4: yeah but well no, i remember him before that from uh multiple episodes of married with children like early married with children
0: that's right he was a guest star on that yeah, yeah.
4: so i mean I, that's at least back to the to the late 80s we Some... won't, we can't play it we can't play it i know we can't play it we're not going to play it, but just if you uh, are not easily offended, go look up Gilbert Godfrey reads Fifty Shades of Grey. It Which is,
2: is hysterical. I, I laughed so hard like a moron.
4: That was so funny. You can imagine. They picked one of the
2: saucier parts and they had Gilbert read it. Um, yeah. Also he, uh, he just would slay at roasts. I think he did Hugh Hefner's roast one year mm-hmm. and it was just one of the funniest things you've ever seen in your life. Lo- and it's just, he'll threaten you. He'll, he's like, I'll call you up in the middle of the night and we can have phone sex. <laughs> you know, you're like, that is, that's a threat, sir. That's I'm calling the authorities. Just, he was just one of those like literal, you, you're right. Just a voice, both, metaphorically and actually that just will never be replaced. And then the only thing that like the only controversy that I ever heard Gilbert Godfrey getting into was he tweeted out after the tsunami, which got him fired from Affleck.
4: From being the Affleck duck, right. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. So like if you don't know who Gilbert Godfrey is, he was the Affleck duck. Like Affleck. And he get like a million dollars from that. But he tweeted out something incredibly insensitive. But um you know, we we we're gonna miss him. He was yeah. Beverly
0: Hills cop and like problem child. Tri- I mean, he had like a long film career too. Yeah. Yeah, he, did. he was. He was in a. Uh, he
4: had a ton of TV and uh, movie roles, but he was one of the last truly fearless comedians.
2: Yeah. And we've um, lost a
4: couple of those here recently, which is uh, terribly. Which I hate. You know, Norm Macdonald would have been in that. Yeah. Lots of comedians might say they don't give a damn, but there's they have some parameters. They've got some governors that keep them in check. There are yeah. a couple that don't. And Gilbert was one of those. <laughs> sure.
2: <laughs> but he did it, he even when he did, you know, push the boundaries, it wasn't like Michael Richards level of pushing the boundaries. Like he he had a he had a he had a good limit, but it was a little bit farther than most people would go. But also, like, you know, uh, it was kind of like Bobcat Goldthwaite. Like, that's not Bobcat's real voice. Gilbert just pushed his to an extreme level. And, yeah. and you know, and I want to say I have met him in person, I think, at the same party I met Bobcat Goldthwait at when I was working on, you know, when I would do SNL, and <sighs> I would get invited to stuff. I think I met Gilbert, he spoke to me in like a fairly pseudo-normal voice. It was like his yeah. voice, but like normal. Like, He's like okay, a toned like, down
0: yeah. version of it. Yeah. He's in that unique pantheon of people that is paradised so often and so poorly. Nobody, very few can get it right including on this show just just like two minutes ago
2: i think all three of us tried to do it if not come on will go ahead and give give your give your no, best i'm, I'm probably
0: going to be the worst of all uh, I, I wouldn't uh come on, I, I come, don't on. come on disrespect those it. past do it no i, I have a terrible i, I do terrible imp- i have like i know one that's good why impression. i want you to do it i have come one on. good impression on. you know what come that on. is
2: okay do the dude okay what
0: the good impression or do do the do from moulin rouge so somehow i stumbled upon the ability to impersonate this one line from the character from the film and it goes like this i don't like this ending but but, uh that you just heard my best impression and and the the shows over everyone our socials are if you want to give us some money that was buff
2: buffo buffo stuff (laughs) you know what it Um, makes me smile that's all that matters
4: yes but anyway yes r.i.p uh to gilbert just uh man you think about the last couple of months that's that's what norm bob rough. saget Louis anderson um now we gilbert lost. i mean that's four big ones for comedy
2: yeah, yeah yeah all right so now since we're all cheered up um yeah you, you guys want to talk about some really uh fun stuff fun stuff wait what it's no no it's it's a oh um the beginning of this episode for my two co-hosts that don't know this yet actually came with a warning and there is a
0: reason for that
2: first of all we finally made it to
0: 1989 <sighs> <We're> almost <laughs> out of the 80s <laughs> only 20 years to go <laughs> knocking on the door
2: and we're not talking about his life we're talking about the number of episodes i have left yes
0: yeah, not- <laughs> exactly.
2: um up top, you heard a warning because we are going to be talking about possible relationships with minors. And this is going to cover, at least I know this episode and the next one, because that's what I have written so far. Uh, and and we will dig into it a little bit more on episode, I'm pretty sure 18. I never thought in my life that we would do this much. In fact, our, uh, our we had a meeting with our CEOs of the, the, the network, our Pantheon, where you find all amazing podcasts on music. And they basically said that we have got more michael jackson information and content than most documentaries and i was a little flattered by that
0: i couldn't yeah i was a little nervous i was like are they gonna tell us to stop i couldn't tell where they were going with that
2: no apparently listenership is like tripled
0: so hey people love <laughs> hey. michael jackson he was the king yeah. of pop for
2: a reason
4: i have a, a couple of uh, corrections to offer
0: uh, uh okay uh
2: i i do have a couple that i need to address really quick Retractions.
4: Um, yes well i i had well okay so there's something that's we've had two different people point out to us now so i need to acknowledge it
2: can i can i acknowledge oh, this one because i feel like i know what you're talking about and it was my mistake so uh, no this one was
4: this one's no no this was my mistake
2: oh, oh you uh, made a mistake okay
4: so oh yeah 30, 37 38 episodes ago uh in the year of our Lord 1994, when we began this journey,
2: <laughs> we have we started only, doing this before podcasts were even before
4: podcasts before Adam Curry invented the first podcast. <laughs> I think it was Adam. It was Adam Curry, wasn't it? Joe Rogan. No, no. I think I think Adam Curry like literally invented the podcast. Oh, I, I, okay. I don't think I'm wrong about
2: that. I I don't anyway, know about our forefathers.
4: Anyway. <laughs> um We were discussing Michael Jackson's song "Billie Jean," and you mentioned Billie Jean King and the Battle of the Sexes, where he beat Bobby Riggs. And I offhandedly said something like, "Yeah, but Bobby Riggs challenging Billie Jean King back then would be like me trying to play Serena Williams. It, it's it's like it's a it's a it's a fat old person against an in shape in their prime athlete. I'm actually not fat. I'm just out of shape. And um, but but it, it but it's a this is like an older person who's not in very good shape who doesn't play tennis who's playing a top level athlete it would it, of course she beat him and we've had two people point point out of this it just I, I just it just slipped my mind now bobby riggs was in his mid to late 50s and i think like smoked and had was not in the shape at the time he was however a former professional tennis player who won multiple majors including wimbledon i think at least once so comparing me to him was not a perfect analogy, I would say.
0: Yeah, fair. I would say he's more of a past his peak player. While TJ, you, no offense, are never pick up a racket player.
4: <laughs> Correct. Yes. I mean, yeah. looking at myself and looking at Bobby Riggs when he played him, I'm probably in better shape than he was then, but I, I've also never played tennis. <laughs> I've played tennis like two times ever in my entire life. And he won, a, he won Wimbledon, I think. I, I know he at least won a couple of majors. So anyway, yeah, that was not a very good analogy on my part. We've had a couple of people pointing out. And thank you. Thank you to the people who did that. We appreciate it.
2: And then we have one other correction that we have to make, which, yeah, I mean, like the, when I was editing it, I realized, oh, no. And then I looked it up and I'm like, oh, no. And oh, no. For one thing, when we were talking about Gilligan's Island, I kept calling her Tina Marie and it's not it's tina louise <laughs> i don't yeah, know
4: tina that. marisa, tina marisa was is a, a late singer who duetted with uh, rick james
2: yes and then uh, tina louise was the the girl who played ginger on gilligan's island and also she is the only living uh person that is that that was a part of that cast uh the professor actually passed away quite some time ago which I, for some reason i i had a for some reason, I just don't remember him passing and I feel really bad. So that is our corrections corner, I do believe. Does that does that open up our corrections corner?
4: <laughs> I think that's our corrections corner.
2: Uh, so before we do get started on this episode, we're going to take a short sponsor break for the folks over at BetterHelp who are our awesome sponsors.
0: Will, take it away. I would agree that they are awesome. And they are awesome for not only sponsoring this podcast, but for helping a lot of people because better help does lead to a better life. Everyone, no matter where they are, does need a little help. Let's face it, we focus a lot of time on improving ourselves. We put extra hours in at the office, we go to the gym, we diet, read books. But at the end of the day, how much do we do for mental health? Well, the statistics are a bit scary on that one. And I know personally that it was something that I had overlooked for a very long time. For me, I just couldn't feel that everything was right. There was something off and I just had no outlet for it. I had no place to take it to. So I thought there was something wrong with me. There must be issues. I didn't have anybody to talk to. Plus this occurred during the middle of a global pandemic, which was just the very picture of isolation all piling up. So what did I do? I went to BetterHelp. BetterHelp allowed me to get the help that I needed to talk about the things that were important to me. And I think that's the best thing that BetterHelp can do for you. They ask you a series of targeted questions to set you up with the right therapist to address your need. And the best part is you can cover whatever you want. Sometimes there are big things that are eating at you. Sometimes there's little things. Sometimes they're right in the middle. Whatever it is, BetterHelp can find you a professional to help you work through your issues. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can do it from the comfort of your home. No need to get in a car, drive somewhere park in an office, get validated at the local coffee shop. Don't have to do any of that. Instead, you can do it from your house. And with BetterHelp, you can be connected with a licensed therapist to address your needs in under 48 hours. It is such a game changer for me. It can be a game changer for you. And that's why we are grateful for BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. We have a special offer. Our listeners can get 10% off one month, your first month of professional therapy with BetterHelp. All you have to do is go to BetterHelp.com and enter our special code, which is rock Heaven. Go to BetterHelp.com slash ROCKHEAVEN and start your professional therapy today. Thank you for BetterHelp for not only sponsoring our podcast, but for making a world of difference in my life and for millions of others. BetterHelp, better life.
4: The last time we actually talked about Michael was two weeks ago, because last week we did a, a Slap Nuts episode, which Will and I have cooked up a theme for our Slap Nuts episodes, like a theme song. And we're going to debut it the next time we do one, okay, but we're Bart. not going to tell you about it.
2: <laughs> okay. okay. It's going to be uh-huh. off the cuff. I'm so sorry.
4: Oh scared. yeah. It's awesome. It's awesome. So, but in the last time that we discussed Michael, I told you like, Hey, you know, I've got a pretty controversial take. I'm going to, I've got a hot take. I'm going to drop on you. And then I yeah. fell asleep <laughs> in the middle of our recording session. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yes. You fell asleep.
4: Yeah. I, I, I fell asleep. So, um, I, I feel compelled to share that with you before we get into uh, some salacious material. Okay. Okay, well, uh, I have a couple of observations. Having gone back and actually heard the whole show that I was a part of, now,
2: okay, I wasn't asleep.
4: <laughs> was asleep for the latter half of it.
2: One, <laughs> no, you were there; you just weren't uh, present.
4: I just wasn't. I wasn't uh, present mentally. I think having really listened to it and thought about it, now, he maybe would not have agreed with this because he didn't write the song. But I think "Man in the Mirror" is probably Michael Jackson's masterpiece.
2: Um, I'm not, if you got to pick one, I'm not going to fight you on that. That's yeah, not controversial I, I, at all. Now he,
4: he would, he would perhaps not have agreed with that opinion because he didn't write that one and he wrote a lot of his you know hits, but you just take everything into account. Timeless. That's a great song. That was a great song when it came out. It's a great song. Now it'll be a great song in a hundred years. Secondly, I've thought about it. I'm ready to say that I think bad's better than thriller.
2: You know, I, I think we talked about that, which yeah, I know. I think we, we all agree. You know, while Thriller is the best selling well, well, we album t- all the time, we talked
4: about right. It's if we, we were me, mentioned it and we said it was close.
2: I think, I think, um, I think that's better. I do. I'm not going to. I wasn't you on willing that. to say that before, but I think I am now. You're so brave.
4: But here's my sort of controversial thought. We are now. This this part is not controversial. Now that we've discussed thr- uh, off the wall and Thriller and Bad, we're at Michael's commercial peak. And we're on the downside now. That's not arguable. Look at, just look at the sales, look at the number of hits that are to come. He's still going to sell a lot of records, but he's not selling 30 and 40 million after bad, right? Right. The commercial, his commercial peak, we've, we've now passed it and we're on the downside. I'm also going to tell you that uh, we've also, in my opinion, I think bad was his last great work. I think, (sighs) I think creatively he is, he has peaked and He's on the downside.
2: No, I'm gonna say no. I'm gonna say dangerous is for me. After that, that's where the fall off is. But he still produced Scream after that. So there
4: were good songs, but you listen to the the to what absolute masterpieces the three albums I just mentioned were Off the Wall, Thriller, Bad. I mean, there's not a bad track on any of the three. That I mean, it's those are like that's three almost perfect pop albums dangerous is good but if you start taking like black or white in the closet heal the world all that kind of stuff i mean they're good i don't think they're as timeless as the stuff that was before it i just don't and maybe a change in producer which i'm sure you'll touch on probably has something to do with yeah. that mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. that because that was such a magical partnership but i just commercially we're past this peak now and i think in in my opinion we're past this creative peak too
2: I'm I'm going to disagree and I'm going to present my case in just a bit. Now that it's taken us 45 minutes to get to this point, how about we start talking about (laughs) Michael Jackson? Hey, yeah.
3: All right. (laughs) right.
2: So guys, we finally made it to 1989. We're going to party. Oh, wait, that's not Michael Jackson. No, that's in also another 10 years from now. Anyway, that's going to be another 90,000 part series. (laughs) All right. So I'm going to give a warning right up top. Um, for those who are listening and were like, "Oh, hey, what is this?" Lindley's talking before the theme song. Yeah, that is a warning uh, because we will be talking about, uh, you know, adult material. We're going to be talking about allegations and possible relationship with minors. And so, uh, this is probably not the episode for the little ears or anyone that might be triggered by that. We certainly don't want to uh, trigger anyone. Uh, you know, especially after talking about, you know, mental health for 5 minutes we we don't want anything like that to to you know what what's the word i'm trying to say uh, we don't want to offend or hurt anybody and we're dealing with some serious subject matter i know that the next episode also is going to be dealing with this and possibly the next one so depending on you know how much i can suss out of a couple episodes we'll get through but you know if, if you choose not to tune into this because of that We completely understand. Uh, From the standpoint of a podcast, we're just telling a story. Also, uh, we're not going to editorialize, we're not going to speculate. I've done my research, I have uh, used several books and watched a lot of documentaries. And I will say, if you also want to do your homework again, you can go watch the four hour series called Leaving Neverland. And we're going to be talking about a couple people from that show today and next week and uh and you'll hear some familiar names if you're familiar with that episode
0: so now you you said that was a particularly challenging one to watch too right
2: it was very challenging to watch and here's my problem and you know what i'm gonna i am going to editorialize for just a second about leaving neverland specifically it is horribly slanted it is incredibly one-sided and you know this was created after he passed away And so I don't ever think it's fair to fight with a dead person. I don't think it's fair that, you know, you can come and make allegations like this, be them, you know, even if they're true, the fact is when they, when these kids went on the stand, they said that Michael didn't do anything. And then years later, they come back and they say he did. So, you know, I don't know what the truth is. You know, the truth lies between Michael and these guys. And so. I'm not going to say whether I believe that he did it or I don't, but yeah, it was a very hard watch for me specifically because it was like, Michael couldn't defend himself. Why couldn't they come out and say this when he was alive and he had an opportunity to say something. So that's, that's where my problem lies in it's it's, you know, it's, for me, it was just horribly one-sided and please, you know, Feel free to voice your opinion on our social medias. I give those at the end. We encourage this stuff. I'll even post the trailer for Leaving Neverland so you can comment under that. Let me know what your thoughts are. I just know that that's my opinion and please don't hate me for that. But you know, that's that's what I'm speaking from. Okay. Since we're in 1989, Michael had a young friend named Jonathan Spence. And Jonathan said, when we hang out, he was just like any other guy. He never talks about himself only about what's going on with others. We never talk about show business. It's sometimes he'll put on a disguise when we're in public. Like we'll go to Disneyland and we'll go through the back and we'll take all the alleys and the back ways to get into the front of the lines. He can't wait in line. No way, he would cause a riot. If people got to look at him, that would be it for the outing. So like Michael would literally go to, he loved Disneyland. <laughs> like, of course, we've already talked about like three separate trips that he's taken at Disneyland. One with Jonathan... Spence one with Jacqueline Kennedy and just like or someone randomly mentioning him him going which I think is more times than I've
0: ever been to Disneyland
2: think about the pandemonium that he would create in the 80s
0: by going to Disneyland now is this when he was going out in the weird beards and sunglasses and all that stuff he would yeah
2: he went on to say he is one of the nicest people I've ever known he's smart and he knows a lot about everything he's a kid He never really had a childhood. Now he's living in now. The stuff I read in the papers about him, I know it's all a bunch of BS, but I just ignore it. A couple of times I've asked him about girlfriends and stuff, but we've really never gotten into it. We don't talk about his plastic surgeries either because it's none of my business. He never brings it up. It's not like he says, hey, do you like my new change? It's hard to get in touch with him though. I usually have to call his secretary and then a couple of days later, he'll call me. Now, after Michael gave, keep this Name locked in your head. But Michael gave Jimmy Safechuck's parents a $100,000 Rolls Royce. Frank DeLeo became concerned about the way it looked, and to him, it seemed inappropriate. He suggested that Michael break off his friendship with Jimmy. And Michael was hurt and angry. And he told Frank to stay out of his business and just to like, forget about it. So Frank DeLeo, what do we think is going to happen to Frank?
0: I think the writing's on the wall at this point. Yeah, that's
4: not, he's not long.
2: Yeah, no. It looks bad. You and all these kids, Frank continued. And Michael flat out told him to mind his own business. Now, who is Jimmy Safechuck? You might ask. Jimmy Safechuck was born on February the 28th, 1978 in Simi California. And Michael met James when they both started a Pepsi commercial. When James was growing up, he was an actor and he took part in an occasional project. James saved Chuck. He was 10 at the time and he wasn't instantly starstruck he said i don't remember being a huge fan uh jimmy now 37 says in the documentary that i was just talking about leaving neverland at the time i was probably more into voltron and transformers after hanging out with jackson in his trailer the pop star called jimmy from his australian tour and they arranged a reunion at jackson's haven Hearst estate in encino los angeles they watched the 1987 children's sci-fi movie, Batteries Not Included, before it actually came out.
0: Michael's got the hookup. <laughs> and these are the days before any sort of digital, so he may have gotten a film reel, no?
2: you I don't think you're wrong. Well, I mean, I know the VCR was already out at this point. So right,
0: and it would have been in small commodity, too, because that was a, quote, rich person's item.
2: Well, Michael Jackson at this time certainly is rich. Oh, no, he could probably afford it. A fancy
0: top-loading VCR, too, right? Eh? That's, a, that's a Betamax, isn't it? They had top-loader VCRs, too. They, they did a Betamax, but they had one what? loaded with the big clunky thing. Yeah, else. we
4: had those on the AV carts at Chester High School.
2: No, but what do we have at home, T? Because I remember it being a top-loader.
4: It was not. Oh, it, was, it was a front-loader. It was a front.
2: We're going to ask Mom about that. I think you're wrong. Yeah, it
4: was—that was I remember it was a front-loader. But, you know, <sighs> Frank might have been somebody might should have kept around because it seems like maybe frank was kind of keeping it real with him
2: yeah he was uh, because I but but, but you know right
4: much like and we'll make these analogies much later in the series much much later when we finish you know next year or whatever it is um <laughs> I, I i there's there was a particular star that that michael was taking great pains to not be like and surrounding himself with yes men who told him what he wanted to hear was is 100 percent going down the road of a major star that preceded him that he said he didn't want to be like so
0: but you also got to think michael has severe perception issues of himself and his interactions with others that that third-party perspective, I think, brings into focus, and that's what I think Frank was trying to do.
2: Well, I think to that end is that Michael has always had people around him saying yes, saying this is okay, saying this is normal, like what do you want, Michael? Like, keep cranking out those hits, you can do whatever you want. Yeah, Frank Frank may have actually had his
4: best interest at heart and, you know. Yeah. Didn't sound like he got to stick around and uh, do that for much longer, but hey, I'm sure we'll get there.
2: We'll get there. We actually get there this episode. So, you know, don't worry. Hang on to your butts. We'll be we'll, we'll be doing this. Now, Michael actually gifted Jimmy with the jacket that he wore in the Thriller music video. And he made it a point to tell that story in Leaving Neverland where he was like, yeah, Michael took me into this closet. And he was like, this is all my stuff. And just pick out whatever, pick out one item that you wanted. And of course, like he went for the jacket in the Thriller video. So like he has the iconic red jacket, or he did have it at one point.
0: That was going to be our next question. Is it still in his possession?
2: I don't know, but um, that same trip as he was leaving, Michael handed Jimmy an envelope full of cash. And after that, Jackson started hanging out at the Safe Chucks family home in Simi Valley and that's in California for those who don't. And and Simi Valley is not actually very far from where we live. I go hiking there. Yeah, so he loved popcorn. Michael would come to our house a lot. Michael and I would take walks around our neighborhood just talking and walking. It would be nighttime of course, so he could sort of hide. Say Chuck describes in leaving neverland it was more like hanging out with a friend your age. The Safechuck family started joining Jackson on trips, including for a Pepsi convention in Hawaii. On the first trip, Jimmy slept in his mother's room and had his meal with her. His mother, who also appears in the documentary, describes how her rooms were booked farther and farther away from Jackson and her son on later trips. Later, Safechuck began touring with Jackson over his summer breaks, coming out to dance with jackson during the song bad jimmy was 10 at the time do you guys actually remember that pepsi commercial by the
0: way i do not i don't
2: think um, I do. okay so it starts out with a kid sneaking into michael jackson's dressing room and he like finds like the glove and he's looking at the wardrobe and he's looking around and all of a sudden you hear michael from behind going looking for me and jimmy looks up he sees that it's michael and then he laughs. And that was an actual reaction because it was the first time he had actually seen Michael Jackson. So they actually caught his real reaction on that commercial. It's a cute commercial. That. Yeah, I remember it. I remember it growing up. It's when the tour took them to Paris that the alleged sexual abuse began. This is going to be really hard, guys. This is going to be very hard. So please, again, listener discretion is advised. It was when they were in Paris that he introduced Jimmy to masturbation. He set it up like, I'm going to show you something everybody does and you'll really enjoy it. It was like teaching me something new. And I remember my penis swelling up because I did it so much that first time. Safe Chuck says in Leaving Neverland, I remember dipping my penis in warm water. Michael filled up a cup of water so I could pee. It was hard to pee. I don't have any unpleasant memories other than not being able to pee. It felt like you were bonding in a way. The tour was the start of the sexual-like couple relationship. Now, please remember, these are direct quotes from Jimmy Safechuk. They can be found easily online and in the documentary Leaving Neverland. Jackson allegedly claimed to Safechuck that he introduced the 10-year-old to French kissing. Together, they established a private signal, scratching each other's palms when holding hands to relay their sexual affection for each other. He said that it was his first sexual experience, Safechuck said. He's the biggest entertainer, and he's a creative genius, and that creative genius thinks you're special. What's not to like, right? When the tour finished, Jimmy and Michael held up at the Neverland Ranch to recharge their batteries, so to speak. Unbeknownst to Michael during this time, someone named Kenneth Choi wanted his signature on a contract for the Jackson Mooney project. The Moonies wanted to underwrite a Jackson tour of South Korea with Michael. According to sources, they contacted Joseph and Catherine and members of the Jackson family. They gave them gifts and cash ranging from Rolexes to luxury cars. And at one point, the representative went to Frank DeLeo, you know Michael's manager, and brought two cashier's checks for $500,000 apiece. De Leo refused to accept the money, and he said that if Michael wants to tour South Korea, we'll call you. The truth was, DeLeo and Jackson did not want to be involved with the Unification Church. The Moonies, meantime, made a deal with Joseph Jackson and the ever astute Germain for the tour, and when it didn't materialize, which we'll actually dig into a little bit more later. Kenneth sued for their money and their gifts to be returned. In the lawsuit, the Moonies claimed that they were out $5.5 million. To avoid losing their Encino home, the Jacksons transferred the ownership to Michael. Now, that's the short version. The long version, including the parents suing Latoya, is hard to explain here. So I understand that we're on part 16 of Michael Jackson, but we don't have time for 22 more parts on just this, this specific lawsuit. Um, Which it could easily be. It could be. The Jackson settled with the Moonies in 92, but his parents were separate defendants. But Kenneth never showed up for trial. And in nineteen ninety-four, a trial judgment was filed against them, totaling four million dollars. In ninety-six, the Moonies filed to take possession of the home. That's when it was transferred to Michael. And since then, the Moonies have just waited. And with interest, they say that they're up to thirteen million dollars that is owed to them.
0: And is that to date? As in now?
2: I don't know if that's to date. That was the article that I read. we will try to cite my sources, but I got a new computer, so I don't know if it's still on my search history or not, but I'll try to find it. But there was an article that kind of laid this out a little bit better than I could. And and so I did not even check the date on the article, which I should have because I'm a terrible researcher.
4: Hey, LD, I hate to interrupt you mainly because it makes this Michael Jackson series longer, but we do have to stop just a second to hear from our sponsors
2: fair and we're back all right let's get back to michael jackson this is interesting according to sources because of the judgment neither katherine nor joseph jackson uses credit cards or can even get credit everything that they do now is in cash the judgment was reportedly part of the jackson's 1999 bankruptcy filing for 24 million dollars now of course with Michael's estate being the subject of so much press and proclamations of earnings so much so recently the moonies are back to get their money like they want their cash and i kind of think after he passed they sort of laid everything out like here's what he has and i think that's when everybody came out of the woodwork and they're like oh well he owes me for this shouldn't come <laughs> as a shock to anyone That when Michael would go out, like I said, he would wear a disguise. We mentioned that a little bit before. For instance, one time he visited a pharmacy in Westwood disguised with a large Afro wig and dark glasses where he was picked out by the store manager. It was kind of like, I'm wearing an outrageous disguise because I don't want you to know that I'm Michael Jackson. I'm Michael Jackson. Uh, And people often speculated why he would wear such weird and outrageous outfits. And some believe that he did it because he wanted attention. For instance, he went to a jewelry store in Simi Valley wearing a wig underneath a baseball cap and a phony-looking mustache and big fake buck teeth. And he was accompanied by a young boy. He nervously uh, kept addressing the mustache while looking in the mirror. And employees feared that the suspicious hey, character... Hey, said so did
4: that make him the, uh, the man in the mirror? <sighs> <laughs>
2: uh. He weirded out the employees so much that they actually thought that he was a burglar trying to case the joint. And so the security guard asked him to step outside and demanded an explanation. And he said, I have to wear a costume. I'm Michael Jackson. Then he removed the costume. But by that time, three squad cars had arrived, as did a huge crowd. Michael's Jeez. president, along with the police, caused such a hysteria that everyone present had to have his autograph, and he happily signed for all of them. No word on whether or not he got that ring. All right. And then other times disguises would fail him. Like when he was driving his Rolls Royce and he was stopped by a police officer who thought the automobile, and this is so racist. I thought the automobile looked like a stolen car. And you know what? I'm not, I'm not, I'm going to keep my mouth shut about the racial undertones, especially when it comes to the Los Angeles police department, especially at this time. Cause you know, we're only a couple years away from that. Champagne cork about to pop. I'm talking about the LA riots. If
0: you guys don't know, yeah, I would have thought that'd be champagne. I'm thinking something more less pleasant.
2: I don't, yeah, I could only, I could, I was like, what is about to pop? A balloon, a
0: spring. Balloon's good, implies kind of pressure. And,
2: okay, know. okay, then yeah, all right, so we'll go with balloon, not champagne. Sorry, sorry, rock and roll heaven listeners. <laughs> um, champagne was literally the first thing I thought of like, oh, that pops. So when he got pulled over, he didn't have his license. And even worse, he had an outstanding ticket. And the officer didn't believe that he was Michael Jackson even after he fully removed the disguise. And the next thing you know, Michael Jackson was in the Van Nuys jail. <laughs> they actually arrested him. They took him to jail? They took him to jail. Bill Bray had to bail him out. Bill Bray, you know, is his security guard. And Michael said of the experience, it was the coolest thing ever. I never thought that I'd get to go to jail. I loved every second of it. It's
0: not the review I would have expected, but all right.
2: <laughs> Five stars wouldn't change yeah. a thing. And again, I don't want to make this about the Jacksons solely, but but he's a very intricate part of this family machine. But so is someone that we actually haven't talked about a whole lot, and that is Latoya. And Latoya decided whether it be a conscious decision or not, but she was going to shatter the family's image of wholesomeness, and she appeared in Playboy. Okay, that, I do remember that being a big deal yeah. when
0: that happened. Nah, I do
4: too.
2: Yeah, I would like TJ to speak on that for just a second, mainly so I could have some tea.
4: Um, I thought the, uh, she looked hot. What else <laughs> Most right, who found like she was naked in Playboy. What do we talk about? The,
0: the <laughs> crazy thing is when it when it was first coming out, and there were whispers that Michael Jackson's sister was in Playboy. A lot of people assumed it was Janet. Right, and then
2: this would lead. I, to uh, tra- I just uh, read
4: it for the
0: articles. So. I um, I think you're lying. Yep. Some, some very reputable writers have written for that that publication.
4: Indeed, they have. All
2: right, so this would lead to a chain of events that would all but destroy the relationship with her family.
4: Who in the family was uh, upset about her doing that?
2: mainly Catherine. Okay. Well, Catherine did it because of course, you know, she is she's still a Jehovah's Witness. She's a very de- very devout religious person. Joseph was mad because he had spent his entire life building up this wholesome image of this like perfect family unit.
4: Yeah. Well, I was, well and Joseph was certainly in a position to uh cast judgment on the actions of others.
0: Of course in he was. In terms of in
2: terms of in terms of
4: moral failings,
0: when I think of the term "wholesome," Joe Jackson, I think
4: long. him.
2: Yeah, the 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 beacon, the pillar of of fatherliness and whatever. I'm sleepy. Words are hard. <laughs> He's a dick. <laughs> so, in order to boost her career, a man named Jack Gordon was tapped to manage Latoya after she fired Joseph, following in the footsteps of her brothers. Just three days after Michael moved out of the Encino home in March of 88, LaToya took off with him. Jack made a deal with Hugh Hefner and said that she would disrobe for a million dollars, but she was probably paid half as much. LaToya tried to explain her decision to Hollywood columnist Frank Stulo. I, I messed that name up big time. Don't even, uh, I'm, I, there's a W and, an, and another W, and I have no idea how to say that. Schwartlo, Schwartlo, Shwer- Schwartlo, Schwartlo, S W E R Y T L O W. Oh boy,
0: there's a lot going on there.
2: Schwartilo, I'm, I messed that up and I'm sorry. Uh, it was a matter of letting my family know that I am an individual and I want my independence. It's very difficult when you come from a very large family and you've been controlled all your life. Look, I get it, I understand. Uh, I can see both sides of this. It was kind of like when Miley Cyrus, and I know that people are going to be like groaning and rolling their eyeballs, but remember, Miley Cyrus came from a musical family. She came from like her godmother is Dolly Parton. And so there was a level of, you know, that that there was a level of, there was expectations for Miley. And then once her show ended, she chopped up all her hair and then started grinding on Robin thick. And, you know, her behavior was outlandish, outrageous, and it could have been one of several things. Uh, It could have been that she was tired of people dictating how she looked, what she sang, what she did, her behavior could have been that she was trying to reject this idea of being a Nickelodeon kid. There's a lot of things like Miley did the same thing. This is an age old story. And so for Latoya to be kind of doing the same thing, well, doing it first, it doesn't it doesn't actually shock me anymore. Like this is the this is also, oh, you know what else? This reminds me of the I forget what magazine it was in, but when Leah Michelle posed for a magazine in a very provocative way. and like she was of age and she had been of age. but it I was it like was maxim, wasn't it? It might have been, but she was, you know rejecting that that idea of this perfect Rachel Barry character. And, and so like, it's not a shock that Latoya would do this. Like I, I, from as odd as it sounds, I, I get it. I understand. I think she went zero to 60, but I get where she's coming from. Now, Michael heard about this from his family and he decided to take matters into his own hands. He made a few phone calls and learned that a meeting with Hugh Hefner had been scheduled for the next day. Regarding Latoya's pictorial, he drove over to the mansion under the guise of wanting to visit Hugh's menagerie of animals and just to like snoop around the estate with one of his friends. So he just you know showed up, walked into the parlor where a bunch of guys were standing around and a man was stuffing photos into a briefcase and he wanted to know what was going on. He knew good and well this meeting was about Latoya and he shook hands with the gentleman with the suitcase and he said that he would like to have a little discussion about latoya a week later michael received the photographs michael's savvy enough to know that these would probably be his family's undoing a month later the magazine came out and it was a spread of something like 11 photos when the women of the jackson house found out everybody was humiliated there was a rumor that they sequestered themselves into the havenhurst home for over a month And Michael instructed his staff to never bring up the subject of Latoya's Playboy spread in his presence. He said, I don't want to hear one more word about my sister's big breasts. I want to forget the whole thing ever happened. There had been rumors that she was going to be doing this. So when Catherine got wind of it, she called and she was like, no, mom, I would never pose for Playboy. I don't know where you got this idea. And then like a month later, the magazine dropped. And wow. This is not going to be the last time we talk about somebody lying to Catherine about stuff that's happening. It happens now a lot. And I feel so bad for her because she seemed like such a good mom, you know? Just hopping back over to the Kenneth Choi predicament, because we're going to kind of bounce back between these subjects. Michael did not want to have anything to do with this. Nothing. He didn't want to go on tour with the family again. And of course, he was upset by even being ask it went so far as they placed a bounty on michael jackson's head of a million dollars if anyone could get a signature that he would be appearing they would pay them a million dollars it could be a staff member or a family member they didn't care they just wanted michael once they placed a bounty on their head everybody wanted to talk to him and knowing that Catherine was the one person that michael was usually a pushover for she decided that she should be the one to talk to michael So she gave him a call and tried to gently push him in the direction of possibly thinking about maybe thinking about going on tour again. But of course, Joseph is Joseph and he snapped the phone out of her hand and screamed, Michael, now you listen here. Oh, you said you wanted us to be a family again, which was like in reference to a phone call that he had made like a week prior. He says, now I get all these rich Koreans and they got this big deal and I want you to do this thing, Michael, because we're gonna make a lot of money and we need this money. And you know, we do. And at that point, Michael cut him off and just asked to speak to his mom. Michael told wow. Catherine to forget about it. He wouldn't even consider another family venture, especially if his father was involved. By February of 1989, money had gotten so tight for Joseph and Catherine that they couldn't pay uh, Jerome Howard his salary. Um, originally, it was supposed to be $10,000 a month for his retainer. And that's his, their lawyer. It went from $10,000 to $3,000. Then he wasn't getting paid anything. So he became extremely interested in the Jackson Mooney project deal. He decided that he would go to Frank DeLeo for assistance. Funny enough, nobody knew how to get a hold of Frank. The brothers didn't really know him. And Catherine and Joe never really liked meeting with him. Catherine and Joseph thought Frank would just kind of be a mediator and then go back to Michael and tell him lies. So Jerome finally paid an associate of Frank's $2,000 for an introduction to Frank. Jerome called Frank and arranged a meeting with Kenneth Choi. Frank told Kenneth that he would keep his end of the deal and he would talk to Michael about it. And he knew how much Michael loved his mother. And at that point, uh, Kenneth opened up a briefcase, took out two cashier's checks that were made out for $500,000 each, so a million dollars. Frank laughed and said, I can't take a million bucks from you. What are you, crazy? I can't guarantee that Michael will do anything for you. Michael is a smart man and he'll make up his own mind. But as promised, Frank actually did go to Michael and discuss the situation. And he said that he didn't want to be involved. Frank told him to think it over. Three days after that telephone conversation about the project, Frank DeLeo was fired. Here's the thing too. Michael didn't do it himself. His attorney, John, was the one that actually broke the news. So Frank DeLeo somebody who's been with this guy for like almost a decade has just been handed his
0: walking papers over this project. And he's really been the only, like you said, voice of reason in this entire, well, I don't know. Well, maybe no, some... John,
2: John's also a voice of reason. John is, <laughs> True, John yeah. is, is sort of a yes, man. Like Quincy was also a voice of reason, but True. as you'll hear, we, we he kind of, you know, walks away from him. So what do you, what do you think, T? Um,
4: I think this was uh, what I alluded to earlier. This is, the continued uh, the continuance of, of uh, Michael's elvisication, for lack of a better term, I'm going to purge everybody who doesn't tell me what I want to hear. I'm going to surround myself with no. yes people, to my own detriment
0: mm-hmm.
4: because he needs he badly needs somebody around him to tell him no about a lot of things that are common. And, and I'm not saying he did anything illegal because I don't know that. But but appearances are what they are. There's also the matter of, and I'm sure you'll get into it, how much money he ends up spending and the shape he gets in on that front. He needed a voice of reason. Somebody to occasionally tell him, no, Michael, you really can't do that. And he's not going to have much of that anymore.
2: No, no, he's not. And it's even less, the more you go on, the the less he has. We've already got one LaToya scandal. Now we have another LaToya scandal coming up. She was going to write a tell-all book. And just like with the Playboy spread, Catherine called her up and asked her if she was going to write a book. And Latoya, again, lied to her and told her that she didn't have any plans to write a book when in reality, she was actually in negotiations with GP Putnam's son's publishing house. Catherine was optimistic, basically saying that there wasn't much that she could write about anyway. Well, for starters, Latoya was actually going to claim that Michael had been sexually molested as a child. When word of that allegation got back to Michael, he was incensed by it. He got John on the case immediately. He basically met with Jack Gordon, who was, as you know, the, the guy that uh, is sort of managing Latoya, but also I they're, they're also, you know, romantically entangled. So he met with Jack Gordon to discuss it. and He said that if that was printed, Michael would sue her and he would have every right to. After finding this out, Jack Gordon telephoned Jerome Howard, who was Catherine's ex-business manager to see if he still had the power to arrange a meeting with Catherine. Jack wanted to offer Catherine a deal. You know, if she and Joseph just maybe paid Latoya $5 million, she would cancel her memoirs. So basically, she was trying to blackmail her own parents. And then someone in Latoya's camp actually leaked a story to the media that Michael had offered her $12 million to kill the book, which wasn't true. And then Jack Gordon offered up another huge lie that Michael was actually trying to purchase the publisher for $80 million just so he could prevent the book from being published.
4: But I'm just going to say, if you've had your the relationship with your parents that she had with hers, why would you... Well, that all of the Jackson kids had with, with their father, especially. Why would you feel the need to well, to hold your tongue and say, oh, well, you know, I guess we need to be discreet and keep things in house. It's like or, most people would look at it as I got treated like crap. I'm at least going to make some money off of it.
2: I mean, fair, but not the blackmail part. <laughs> like not the, not the. I'm well, uh, to... <laughs> well,
4: yes, you've gone to a different level when you start trying to blackmail your parents. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. To add even more fuel on this fire on September 5th, 1989, Latoya married Jack Gordon in Reno, Nevada two days before she called her mom and said, I don't have a family anymore. I don't have a mother. I don't have a father, brothers, or sisters. I disown you all. Latoya said this? Yes. Oh, wow. And then ran off and married Jack Gordon. So by 1989, things were going great for Michael. <laughs> like, sure I feel sounds so that much, way. It feels so bad for him. Uh, a lot of people actually saw him as kind of a perpetual child. Even though he turned 30 in 1989, he still like playing with his teenage friends. On his career front, there had been a big discussion about how to follow up with Bad, but Bad hadn't sold as many albums as Thriller had, and Michael was disappointed, but he realized that he was actually kind of fighting himself to be the best. So John convinced Michael that he should release a Greatest Hits collections entitled Decade which would also include a few new songs and to be a good idea and it would, you know, maybe take a little bit of pressure off of Michael at a time where he really did need a break. So Michael's intent to deliver decades to the agency's Sony's Corporation, which was CBS's parent company, in August of 89, which is supposed to be scheduled to be released in November in time for the Christmas rush. He said that he wanted more money than anyone else had ever gotten. So John got to work he began negotiating with CBS for a new album. John did not let him down. He actually arranged an $18 million advance, which was indeed more money than anyone else had ever gotten. If you include the album royalties and the points he would have gotten, he could stand to make upwards of $50 million just for this album. Because not only did he negotiate an advance and non recuperable gifts, he also started a joint business venture, with a new company according to that arrangement cbs would finance a custom label for michael a subsidiary of cbs records which would be called jackson records that michael would oversee do you do you hear a little bit of joseph in that it's creeping out
0: yeah a yeah
2: but john pointed out that the first person that should be signed to the label should be his sister janet though that actually didn't work out because she signed a contract with virgin records for an estimated get this $32 million. Ooh. And even though everything was in place for this to be a massive success, by January of 1991, he would fail to deliver decades. He didn't really care for the format. And there was a, like some confusion as to what should be on it. Originally, it was supposed to consist of four cuts from Off the Wall, seven from Thriller, six from Bad, and three to five new songs. And one of them being State of Shock, was, which was a duet with Mick Jagger. Heartbreak Hotel, Someone in the Dark from Michael's E.T. narration album uh, come together, and then two vintage Motown songs that Michael was going to remaster. Finally, his close friend and massive entertainment mogul, David Geffen. We know this name. Yes, David Geffen.
0: Yes. Uh, he's, he's the name we know, yes.
2: But every time I hear his name, you do you want to know the only sound I hear? Sure. Dale. because that's like the first thing that you see when the logo comes up, when the logo comes up for Beetlejuice. So anyway, David Geffen talked him out of putting the album out altogether. Now, I just mentioned it, but for those who need a refresher on who David Geffen is, he is what Forbes dubbed the richest man in Hollywood. And he had an estimated worth of over $100 million, his worth. He actually worked on a lot of films, And producing movies that were distributed by Warner Brothers, including Risky Business and what I just talked about, Beetlejuice. He had a hand in helping finance Andrew Lloyd Webber's Cats. Well, nobody's perfect. Yeah, yeah. And uh, David talked Michael out of the Decade album. And because of that, John was not a fan of David. What do you think's gonna happen?
0: Wait, hang on. I know where this is going. Hold on.
2: Hold on there, kiddo. We're getting there, all right? Popping back over to LaToya, her book, LaToya, Growing Up in the Jackson Family, was published September of 1991. Yeah, kids, we're in 1991
0: now. (laughs) I did it. It's a new day.
2: In the book, she was extremely critical of her family, but very generous to Michael and never suggested in the book that he had been molested. And even though she didn't claim that he was molested, she, in the book, She did talk about it in her promotional tour. Talk show after talk show, she would talk about how Joseph would actually force her into an incestuous relationship. Now, that's all speculation. No one knows if this is true. It has never come to light whether or not these allegations are true. And of course, Michael is now dead and Joseph is dead. Catching up, I guess, something else that's a little bit lighter. Uh, Most people actually lost count of how many plastic surgeries Michael had had. But most people think at this point that he has had around 10. And uh, I think at some point, I read an article, I'm not going to say it's fact, but they said at some point, I think that the, the cartilage in the bridge of his nose had collapsed. Oof. And so they were trying to build that back. So that's why, you know, it it looked the way it did. So and I think he
0: also went to different doctors, if I'm not mistaken.
2: Oh, yeah, because I feel like at some point, I don't know. I don't know medical ethics about this. Like at some point, do you say, okay whether or not he had had 10, one, two, doesn't matter. At what point do you say, hey, could this be like body dysmorphia? You know,
1: yeah.
2: you know, because if you're, it, for him to go to a doctor after doctor after doctor, there's a reason for that. Because you're trying to hide the the fact that you're doing this. They'll figure it out. But yeah. um, Yeah. So around this time somewhere, and I do talk about this a little bit more because he has a famous interview with someone, you know, uh, very prominent later on. And I'll talk about that around this. No, no, it's not you. I don't think you ever talked about Michael and I love you, but I don't know if you're quite the caliber of person she is because I don't scream every time you show up at a Paul Simon concert.
0: Probably not. And those are very few occasions. so
2: (laughs) Um, Michael was actually diagnosed with the skin disease vitiligo. Just so you know, Michael never bleached his skin. Some of the medications that he had did have an effect on the pigmentation where he would put it a lot. I'm going to say a lot of words here that I'm probably going to butcher. And so for all you medical professionals that are actually listening to us, I'm so sorry. Vitiligo is a condition in which the skin loses its pigmented cells. And these are melanocytes. I'm probably saying that wrong. I'm sorry. This can result in discolored patches in different areas of the bodies, including the skin and the hair and the mucous membrane. In vitiligo, there's not enough working melanocytes to produce enough melanin in your skin. That causes the white patches to develop on your skin or even in your hair. Vitiligo doesn't pose a serious threat to your health, but it can result in a physical complication such as eye issues, health problems, and sunburn. People with vitiligo are more likely to have another autoimmune disease. Think thyroid disorder or some type of anemia. In Michael's case, Michael's dermatologist, Arnold Klein, diagnosed it with having discoid lupus. I think I'm saying that right. I know I'm saying the lupus part right because it's never lupus and that's what house told me. So you had a
0: form of lupus?
2: Yeah, uh, which is a autoimmune disease which causes the darkening or lightening of the skin, which is what he actually had on his scalp. Now, there are two variations of lupus and the kind that Michael had, which is skin deep, and can be systemically deadly. Michael's doctor prescribed retin-A and Benoquin, and as a result, Michael had to avoid sun exposure. He also had to endure direct injections into his scalp of something that we've heard of in the last two years, which is hydroxychloroquine, which is a steroid, and these were not pleasant, as you can imagine, and he had to have this done multiple times. That's direct injections of this medication into his head
0: that sound fun
2: it sounds horrible it was also at this time that mike was in talks with disney to lend his name to a new robotic attraction in their theme parks at the same time geffen who was affiliated with mca as a part of universal wanted michael to appear at the opening of the universal theme park in florida as did steven spielberg however michael eisner who was the head of disney at the time told michael that if he had anything to do with mca or universal He would never be associated with Disney again. And so now Michael is in between a rock and a hard place, and that might have overwhelmed him. On the 3rd of June, Michael was admitted to St. John's Hospital in Santa Monica. He was gripping his chest and looked pale, dizzy, and weak. It was later reported that he had suffered chest pains while doing a dance exercise. A massive panel test was done, and it was determined that he suffered from an enzyme deficiency and was anemic, probably due to his strict vegetarian diet. And of course, because he was in the hospital, this made the papers for days. President Bush, Liza Minnelli, Elton John all telephoned to wish him well, and Catherine and the other family members, including Latoya, visited, and fans held all night vigils outside the hospital. I should tell you at this point that Michael did have an HIV test. That really stressed him out because he was saddened by the death of his 18-year-old friend, Ryan White, who had won a long court battle to attend public schools and overcame prejudice because he had AIDS himself. Do you guys remember Ryan White? I I do, yeah. I I remember that being a huge court case because he was only like, 11 or 12 at the time he got a blood transfusion and the blood transfusion that they gave him had HIV. And so he, he had AIDS and this was, and and was
4: befriended by Michael Jackson and Elton John and a number of other prominent artists. Yeah.
2: And it was, it, it was specifically because of his treatment by the public they were disgusted by him. He was getting death threats and people didn't want to touch him or talk to him. like the, 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 uh, you know, for our younger listeners, the eighties was a really scary time for HIV because, you know, we see it a little bit like little brushes of it when it came to COVID. Cause it was like, you know, how can I get it? Is it just by touch? Is it by fluids? What is, you know, and it was considered the, the, the gay disease, you know, and, and so labeling a child with this had to be horrible for Ryan. So he endured a lot and he fought against the school system so that he could attend public school. All right, when he got out of the hospital, he decided that he was going to fire everyone on his staff because he didn't trust anyone except for his mother. Now, he had already dismissed Frank after the bad tour. And then Michael released Marshall Gelfling. If you'll remember, that was Michael's accountant of seven years, and he hired a new accountant, Richard Sherman, who also worked for David Geffen. By the summer of 1990, Michael also began to have some doubts about John. For one thing, he found out that John was actually representing the Rolling Stones' Steel Wheels tour in 1988, and when he heard that they were playing the Coliseum, he became frantic. He was so upset when John took on Terrence Trent Darby because he considered Terrence competition just like he saw Prince
0: as his competition. Uh, no offense to Terrence <laughs> Trent Darby, but I don't think I'd label him as competition for Michael Jackson. I, I think you'd be right. No offense.
4: W- wishing Will was the stuff, though. Come on. Oh, wishing. Sign Will your name. Great. That's Sign a killer my song. Yeah. Well, not wow. be my baby?
2: I thought we talked about this, guys. It's funny that you mentioned Elvis earlier because John's work with Michael had often been compared to to Colonel Tom Parker, who, of course, represented Elvis. And even though John wasn't Michael's manager, he kind of had the same impact that Tom had had on Elvis. When John began to represent him in in 1980, Michael's net worth was barely a million dollars. 10 years later, thanks to John, his net worth was close to $300 million. That is insane. Including publishing holdings that were close to $200 million. Just think about what you could do with $300 million. You know I'm
0: doing the gesture.
2: Oh, it's pudding time, baby. A few days after a disastrous meeting with david geffen john met with michael and john could actually tell john could tell that something had changed in michael michael barely listened to what john had to say and almost seemed hostile toward him the two had a heated discussion about his deal with cbs which he still owed them like four more albums but in the end the meeting did not go well the next day john received a letter by special messenger from michael's new accountant richard sherman the same guy John had hired. The message said that John's services were no longer required by Michael Jackson. So he just came on board and he's firing
0: people.
2: Uh he just fired John. Yeah, I was gonna say, wow. The the, the man that is the closest to Michael, like the man that was in the room for thriller. Like he 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 got Michael everything he ever he got eh, okay. He got the president to give him a fake award that lasted nine minutes because he wanted to meet the president
0: and the first lady. And, and as you point out, he increased his net worth in 10 years by 300 times, something to that effect. Something to that effect. Yeah.
2: So yeah, he just released him. Now, what's crazy is that he actually had to hire three different lawyers to cover what John could do he hired Bertram Fields for litigation Alan Grubman to do the deals with CBS and Lee Phillips for music publishing and then you know what's weird about those guys they're all friends with David Geffen
0: Uh, I think I see where this is going
2: yeah so let's move forward on November 26, 1991 Michael released Dangerous After the success of his seventh album, Bad, Michael wanted a little bit more independence and control over the creative process. He separated himself with his longtime collaborator and producer, Quincy Jones, to avoid the perception that his success depended on him. So literally he dumped Quincy because he's like, I need to prove to everybody that it's not you that's
0: good, it's me. I don't know about you, but I'd perfectly be okay saying, yes, I owe my success to Quincy Jones. I'd be fine with that.
2: Yeah, me too. I'd be okay with that. Quincy, call me. Featured appearances included Heavy D of Heavy D and the Boys. You yeah, yeah. Princess Stephanie of Monaco slash Rex and Effect. The album incorporates hip-hop, R&B, pop, and New Jack Swing, which was a genre that was growing at the time. Elements of that industri- industrial, funk, hip-hop, gospel, electric, classical, and rock are also featured. 12 of the album's 14 songs were either written or co written by Jackson, discussing topics like racism, poverty, romance, self improvement, and the welfare of the children of the world. The lead track on that was Black or White. It was an instant hit. TJ, do you remember the night that that came out?
4: Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, I, you lost your mind, <laughs> um, as, as per usual, with that stuff. But I mean, you were still only 11. At the time. 11.
2: No, yeah. yeah so, 11.
4: I mean, 11 or 12, so you're still, you know, a younger kid, and still, you know, really into Michael Jackson, but, you know, it's, um, the video was a tad, you know, whereas Thriller was long, and but told a cohesive story, and Smooth Criminal was, it it was just long, for the sake of being long.
2: Friggin' love black or white it's one of my favorite music videos oh, there's very cool effects time.
4: but the end part where he smashed in the car and turns into a panther and keeps
2: okay not grabbing that part
4: his, <laughs> keeps grabbing his uh junk and
2: 11 times what was the what myself. was
4: the i was gonna say what 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 was the dick grab count on that it had to be a lot 11 it's like
2: counted. Okay, so Black or White was an instant worldwide hit upon its release in November of 1991, reaching the top Billboard Hot 100 chart just three weeks after it was released, staying there for seven weeks. It was the fastest chart topper since The Beatles' Get Back was released in 1969, and it was also the best-selling single worldwide of 1992. Black or White reached number one in 20 countries, including, and I'm not going to name them all. I'm actually I might screw it. Uh, the U.S., the U.K., Canada, Mexico, Cuba, Turkey, Zimbabwe, Australia, New Zealand, Belgium, Denmark, Finland, France, Ireland, Israel, Italy, Norway, Spain, Sweden, Switzerland, and the Euro chart, Hot 100. Uh, United States, Canada, Mexico, Panama, Haiti, Jamaica, Peru. In the U.K., the single became the first single by an American to enter the chart at number one since it's now or never by Elvis Presley. In 1960, the music video premiered on BET, MTV, Fox, and BH1, which gave that the highest Nelson rating of all time, as well as the BBC's Top of the Pops in the UK. And that all happened on November 14th, 1991, which if you guys don't know, the day before that is one of the hosts of this very podcast's birthday. Huh. So your birthday would have been a Saturday in that year. How was about that? I think if, ask- it, if it premiered, if it premiered after The Simpsons, The Simpsons came
0: on at Sunday. They yeah, did that was Sunday at live, and you asked me, you know, if I remembered the video. I do. However, I remember the next day at school even more. Just everybody talking about that video.
2: It was. I cannot tell you how my head almost exploded because, yes, I believe the song "Cry" had used morphing in the music video, but
4: God- Godly and Cram, you mean?
0: Cry,
2: I think so. Um, black and white video, yes, yes. So I remember that was the first one to really use the morphing technology, but he had used it in such a way that it blew your friggin' mind. Like it was, it was amazing. Uh, unfortunately, the music video was directed by the dick John Landis. I hope he gets gonorrhea. He previously directed Thriller, Ted Horse,
0: <laughs> whatever.
2: You can cure gonorrhea. You can't cure a friggin' helicopter through your face. I don't like John Landis. It premiered simultaneously in 27 countries with an audience of five hundred million viewers, which is the most ever for a music video. I don't think that will ever be surpassed. I don't ever. think it will either. The closest thing that's not. Not a single like,
4: viewing knife. No.
2: No, no not a single view Co- i mean
4: collectively on youtube yeah i mean maybe but oh not.
2: yeah no i mean Psy has over a billion views on gundam style so
0: yeah but not in that format i mean it would never happen
2: no that would never happen again q magazine ranked black or white as number 84 on the list of 1001 best songs ever and are you ready for our very first fun fact fun fact, fun fact the native american dancers use their own traditional wardrobe making them the first native americans in a non-native american music video really
4: interesting so there's yes. never been one really
2: there's never been one up to this point so
4: are we are we sure there wasn't like stock footage of ones used from like uh iron maidens uh, run uh, run to the hills
2: i don't i don't i don't know if that was recognized with this but uh, according that to that might be an,
4: that, that might have been from like an old terrible cowboy and indians movie and so it like really that... wouldn't have been native
2: americans
0: yes the video by enigma came out like a year or two later at return to innocence yes and i that believe that, that
2: that yeah so they had it after that all right so now i'm tired of talking so you know what we're going to do we're going to listen to black or white but we're not going to listen to the whole thing well we're, <laughs> we're going to listen to the whole thing we're not going to listen to the video version with Macaulay Calkin. we're gonna listen to the album <laughs> we're back
1: all right right.
2: the thing is that 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 uh, music video i keep going back to the music video but it starts out with macaulay culkin getting yelled at by george went and then it features another bad creation kind of being the face of that rap which is the new jack swing that that's the influence the new jack swing and then you have heavy D. The, the heavy D, you have the, you have the morphing. And one of the people that gets morphed into is actually Tyra Banks. Indeed. Yeah. So that music video is awesome.
4: That
0: effect still holds up today. That morphing. It's really it, something.
2: It's so good. And there were yeah. like, I have my favorite ones, like the ponytail where it, it it's, it's a guy who turns his head and he doesn't have the ponytail. Turns his head again mm-hmm. and he does, and it turns into a woman. Like, oh, it's like it's done so flawlessly. It still holds up. It's amazing. All right, so just to wrap up, dangerous. There were other incredible tracks on this album, such as "Remember the Time," "In the Closet," and "Say You'll Be There," which was actually used in the film Free Willy. Don't at me. I will openly weep every time I watch that. When he's like, he holds his hand up, and the whale's jumping, and the water's coming slow mo. Oh. He just wanted to be free. Dangerous received four Grammy Award nominations, including three for Jackson, which is Best Pop Vocal Performance for Black and White, Best R&B Performance, and Best R&B Song for Jam. Teddy Riley and Bush Sweden won for Best Engineering Album. Non-classical, while Jackson received the Grammy Legend Award in the same ceremony. Jackson won two awards and received five nominations in total at the 1993 American Music Awards, Dangerous One, favorite pop album and Remember the Time one favorite R&B song. The inaugural International Artist Award also went to Jackson that year. One final thing of note that happened in 1991, which was the revival of Manford Man's Earth Band. <laughs> okay, were, I, I think you have to this time, honey. It's my turn. I think it's your turn.
0: And that's the NPR voice. That's uh, I mean, like, do, you know what? Go go nuts, ladies and gentlemen. The federally mandated Manfred Mann's Earth Band reference of the podcast has been satisfied. Thank you.
2: All right, <laughs> now brought to you by
0: Delicious Dish.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Shweety balls. All right. Awesome. All right, I want to paint you a picture. We're so close to the end, by the way, guys. I want to paint you a picture that in May of 1992, Michael Jackson's Jeep has broken down on Wilshire Boulevard. Honey, you know, Wilshire Boulevard, it's a two lane mm-hmm. road in both directions. And Michael, and it's, always a mess. it's always a mess. And Michael had no idea how to drive his car till he was like 23. So he didn't know what to do when his car broke down. So he, he did the only thing that he thought was that he did the thing that he thought was right, which was he called 911. And he was told by the dispatcher that a broken down car was not an emergency and that he should call directory assistance to locate a tow shop. And then he said, but I'm Michael Jackson. Can't you help me? The dispatcher said no. And then hung up.
0: It's like that scene in groundhog day, celebrities and emergencies, both I'm a celebrity in an emergency.
2: (laughs) He was standing by the side of the road when he was spotted by the wife of Mel Green. He was an employee of a nearby car place called rent a wreck You know rent a wreck don't you, honey?
0: I have seen their advertisements about yes.
2: There's there's a couple. I want to say there's a few. I think it's a franchise of, like, car yeah, rental places. Of...
0: Yeah, it's, I think a, it's, yeah, it's a franchise.
2: Is it, like, a, a countrywide franchise? Oh, place? yeah. I
4: I, or it, At least it was at one time. I don't know if it still is, but I remember their commercials. Something about, yeah, something, direct. Uh, with me directed. beautiful i know like, like one and a half <laughs> words of their jingle
2: <laughs> hyper effective jingle.
4: Spotless. that was spotless
2: that's that's what jingle writers are for unlike those hacks and empire carpet place or cars for kids you're that's welcome wow. the wife of mel saw him like hand wringing on wilshire boulevard and she called her husband and said you will not believe who i just spotted he was kicking the tires of his own broke down car. It's Michael Jackson. You should go see what's up. So Mel Green raced over there. And sure enough, it was the actual Michael Jackson. So Mel called the owner of the company, Dave Schwartz, and told him, hey, I got Michael Jackson here. And so Dave said that he needed to call his wife, June. He called up his wife and told her to bring their son, Jordy, over to the shop for a big surprise. So Mel's wife called Mel. Mel called David. David called June. June got Jordy. this confusing anybody okay cool i think it tracks all right cool so the pair actually arrived before michael did and (laughs) it was pretty exciting for everybody all around Jordy had actually seen michael on several occasions the first time being in a restaurant in la when he was about four years old of course he didn't talk to him but he did stare at him for a very long time that same year in 1984 michael was burned in the pepsi commercial and like thousands of fans Jordy, still being four years old, actually wrote a letter and sent a picture of himself to Brotman Memorial Hospital, where Michael was recovering, and actually included his phone number in the note. Two days later, much to his parents' excitement, Michael actually called him to thank him for the note and to tell him that he thought that he was a very beautiful young boy. In 1989, when Geordie was nine, Michael's manager, Frank, contacted Jordy's mother, to ask if she and her family would like four tickets to see michael in concert of course she accepted and they enjoyed the show but they did attempt to meet him but it was unfortunately unsuccessful uh but geordie still worshipped michael from afar now this is gonna be a long one but are you ready for a fun fact fun fact my brother's gonna freak over this my brother's gonna freak in the spring of 1992 jordy got an idea for a spoof of a kevin costner film which is robin hood prince of thieves he called it robin hood men in tights for 12- 12 for a 12 year old he was amazingly creative and his father evan wrote the scripts the script. along with evan's friend jd sapiro and with the help of some show business friends, a father and son actually got their script produced into a major motion film, a film that was produced by Mel Brooks.
4: I was going to say, I knew Mel Brooks was involved in that somehow. It,
2: yeah, it was not a commercial success. I or, actually
4: saw that in the theaters, believe it or with, not. I mean, there were some good people. Chappelle was in it.
2: More awesome was Sexy Carrie Elway's. That was my that was my awakening. I looked at Carrie Ways in 1992. I went, that,
0: hello. And yet that came several years after the princess bride that doesn't seem to make any sense actually i saw the princess bride after
2: i saw men in tights because mom really? said my mom said if you love robin hood men in tights and you think carrie elway's is pretty you should watch the princess bride then i watched the princess bride
0: i would have never put to f- put those films in that order but okay
2: well you know what i didn't know there was an order i was 12 we didn't have a radio till i was 16 okay what was i supposed to do <laughs> travis do you need to explain to my husband how sheltered i was
4: uh, extremely yes <laughs>
2: so jordy had other ideas and he was working on them with his father now i need to remind you at this point jordy's 12 but a lot of people said that he was going to be stunning in about 10 years so june wrote down his telephone number and handed it to michael and said you should call jordy sometimes as if the notion of a 12 year old being friends with a 30 year old much less a 30 year old who happens to be the biggest pop star in the world uh she acted like it was the most normal thing to be like here call my son totally fine now, a lot of you guys might pass judgment, but you have to remember, in the past, Michael had been seen in the company of young celebrities like Emmanuel Lewis and Macaulay Culkin, as well as many other youngsters who are now famous, which is why Geordie's mother thought nothing of it and allowed that friendship between these two to blossom. So now that I've introduced you to Jimmy Safechuck and Geordie, I think that's where we're going to end this episode because next week is going to be really, really hard so let's pass the mic guys what do we think so far passing thoughts
0: you know it's setting the stage for again each episode that we've done here you know all 720 of them have really built to i think the thing that most people know about michael jackson which is unfortunately the state of his career before he died you know uh the financial troubles the legal issues and you can see it sort of storming here in the sense that, you know, he's dismissing all these people who are basically disagreeing with him. You know, I think TJ put it best, you know, the Elvis analogy was perfect. He's kicking out anyone who doesn't agree with him. And it's getting to the point where no one's going to stop, step in and, and set him right. So I think it's uh, all the sowing seeds of a tragedy right now.
2: Yeah. And uh, TJ, what are some of your thoughts?
4: Uh, about the stuff in this episode? Yes. A couple, uh, just a couple of bad moves by Michael beginning to insulate himself with people who tell him what, what he wants to hear would be definitely one thing. Doing some things that and again, none of us were there. So we don't know if he did the things he was alleged to do or if he was completely innocent. But doing things that are certainly a bad look that don't that 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 are going to get people's attention and and seem strange. I think I think that's a fair way to put it.
2: Yeah, no. And and honestly, like if I were to voice my opinion, I would say yeah, like on the surface it doesn't look great. It doesn't. But we don't know what his intention was and, you know, there are people that have come out and said that he he never did that. People saw him as asexual. I it, it is a mess when it comes to this. This is like the darkest time for him and this is the this is the time where it really separates the fans. You have the people that believe that he did it hundred percent. And you have the people that don't believe him hundred percent. And I don't think you can sway either camp, but there are people in both camps and there are people that are going to have their beliefs. And I just hope that the people out there that are listening to this podcast don't staple us to the wall because I think one documentary was not that great. There are other documentaries out there that are fair, balanced and weigh both sides. And that's the ones that I appreciate. Not that I'm going to take a stance on this because I have no voice in this. It is not my business. I will not dip my toe in that pool. So that's where that ends. Um, All right. So uh, I'm going to give out our socials now. So if you think that we're doing a really good job and you want to drop some money in the tip jar, you can do that at patreon.com backslash rock and roll heaven. You can check us out on Twitter at rock and roll LT. Our Instagram, Rock and Roll Heaven LT, Facebook, Rock and Roll Heaven Pod. Still not saying our website. And you can also check out our TikTok. We're trying to grow our audience over there by giving you guys some fun facts. And uh, we are going to be doing like breaking news and stuff like that, but it requires me to lose some weight and put on some makeup. So that's really hard day to day. So you'll notice I'm wearing my clothes a lot, the same clothes in the videos because we record like 10 of them a day. And uh, yeah, let's come, come have fun over there on TikTok. And uh, please make sure. You-
4: yeah. Y'all get up with us on the ticky tag. Oh dear.
2: <laughs> also, if you would like to reach out to us the good old fashioned way with uh, email, you can shoot that over to rock and roll, at gmail.com. And please make sure you check out all the other Pantheon podcast at pantheonpodcast.com. All right, you guys, that's it for this episode. Please uh, stay tuned for the next episode. Episode 486,322 on michael jackson uh where we're going to be talking about the one time michael got a sty. tj do you have anything that you would like to say to the audience
4: indeed i do
2: Bye-bye. all right mr will the thrill
0: i will say good evening and we look forward to seeing you on the next one which yes spoiler alert will be about michael jackson so i'm going to wrap up this episode
2: by playing my other favorite song other than black and white which is off of the dangerous album this is michael jackson with say you'll be there thank you and good night
1: trials and my tribulations, through our doubts and frustrations, in my violence, in my turbulence,
3: through my fear and my confessions, in my anguish.
1: Right now, you can get free carpet installation from the Home Depot. So while we're putting in your new carpet, you'll have more time to take care of the lawn, get started on dinner, or just lay down and relax on your new carpet after it's installed. Ah! Get your free carpet installation started with the Home Depot. How doers get more done? Minimum purchase of $4.99. Exclusions apply. U.S. only. See store for details.